Perspective is brought to you by Palace Capital Advisors, a comprehensive wealth management firm with locations in the Northeast, specializing in financial and estate planning solutions, investment management strategies, and family office services for high net worth families across the country. Now, here's your host, James Landry. Welcome to the Palace Perspective, the podcast that brings you conversations and professional analysis on the topics and trends affecting your everyday financial life. I am James Landry, and I'm glad you chose to listen in today. I know you will find it once again valuable and timely information. Today, we are starting a new series in the Palace Perspectives podcast called the Extraordinary Life Series. As you know, we like to talk to interesting people on this podcast. And so today, we're sitting down with Michelle Palomera, former vice president at Genpack Incorporated. We had to make the heartbreaking decision to move them into a facility. And having the right support enabled me to take care of the girls, to continue working. My career served as an escape for me during this whole journey. It actually saved me emotionally and mentally. Let me tell you a little bit about Michelle's professional biography. And most recently, Michelle led Genpack's banking and capital markets practice for digital and customer experience under the right point and Tandem 7 subsidiaries. She was responsible for revenue and sales, go-to market strategy, and creating service offerings in her P&L. She has experience spanning every segment of the industry, including banking and capital markets, asset and wealth management, insurance, and retail banking. With over 30 years of experience in CX, that's customer experience, technology, and consulting in the financial services industry, Michelle has helped to grow and scale two startups that resulted in acquisitions by global public companies, and she's also helped to build and launch several industry consortia. She has consulted at some of the leading industry firms as well as fintech. Michelle came to pit Genpack through the acquisition of Tandem 7, an experienced innovation firm. Prior to this, Michelle held senior positions at Niteo Partners, Zephyr Corporation, and CSC Consulting, where she functioned in various leadership roles. And not unimportantly, in addition to her extensive professional experience, Michelle is also the mother of two teenage daughters, perhaps one of the most challenging roles that she's played. So, Michelle, welcome today. Thanks, James. Great to be here with you. So, Michelle, you've been successful in the business world by any person's measure, but you've had more than your fair share of adversity. And that's why I think you are an excellent guest to have on as episode one. That's today. The Extraordinary Life Series. According to information from the Mayo Clinic, approximately 5.8 million people in the United States aged 65 and older live with Alzheimer's disease. Of those, 80% are 75 years old and older. According to the NIH, Alzheimer's is the sixth leading, leading cause of death in the United States, and it's the third leading cause of death for the elderly, just behind heart disease and cancer. But Michelle, for your family, Alzheimer's struck much earlier. Can you tell us about that? Sure. My husband, Ken, was diagnosed in 2013 with early onset Alzheimer's, which is quite rare. Only about 5% of all cases are early onset. This came as a surprise. Often early onset is genetic, but nobody in Ken's large family had a history or diagnosis. And he was only 47. Yeah, 47 is very, very young, especially as I get older. Michelle, if you would, if you don't mind, take us back to when you and Ken first noticed that something was happening. I noticed issues as early as 2010 and 2011. It really started with small things like misplaced keys, wallet, phone, leaving the kitchen cabinet doors open, things like that. 
On weekends, sometimes he would go out to run errands and then return not having done them and not being able to tell me where he had gone or why he hadn't done them. And then things started to get worse. He forgot to pick up friends at the airport for a vacation we were taking one time. He started struggling at work and he told me he knew he was focusing on the wrong things. Soon after that, he lost his job. Yeah. So what was going through your mind then? I mean, what was it like trying to juggle the day-to-day with everything going on with Ken? I knew deep down something was medically wrong. We had been together for over 15 years by that time. I started taking notes of the different behaviors that were happening. His primary care physician thought it was stress. He thought it was stress. At the same time, our two daughters were very young. They were ages seven and nine. So they need a lot of help. And my job was demanding. I was traveling about two weeks out of every month at that point. So things were really crazy. At one point, I realized he hadn't been paying the bills. Hmm. So ultimately, I had to take him to the ER to get a referral to a neuropsychologist. And they ran a test and the results were not good. At that point, we went to see a neurologist. He suggested we watch and wait, given his age and lack of familial history with dementia. After that, a pot exploded on the stove, and I went back to his doctors and urged them to take a more in-depth look and ended up having to pay out of pocket for tests that were not covered by insurance. And finally, we were able to get a diagnosis. It was an incredibly difficult and stressful time. And I was really afraid of what the future might hold for us. Yeah, I I can't even uh, begin to imagine uh, what you must have been going through uh, in that period. I know you sought and got a lot of professional advice and opinions related to Ken's medical condition. What were you hearing from those folks? Oh, a lot of different things. You know, it's really difficult. Initially, we both felt grief when we got the diagnosis. And then I immediately panicked about the finances. My first call was to one of our closest friends who was an attorney. He referred me to a lawyer who specialized in disability cases. Um, Happy to report on that front that Ken's former employer was very cooperative given the fact that he had not been diagnosed prior to his termination. My second call was to my financial advisor at the time. And that he was with a big firm. He and his team did not have experience with our particular situation. So there were a lot of recommendations that were made that did not make sense or just not aligned to my ethics. Mm. And actually what I learned is that it doesn't have to be Alzheimer's, really any young person or couple with an income over a certain amount who falls ill with a chronic disease will fall into this gap where you don't qualify for coverage through Medicaid or through insurance And you end up needing to pay out of pocket for expenses like caregivers, adult daycare, transportation, because typically state and federal programs for the elderly won't apply to those under 65 who become disabled or ill. So needless to say, you know, I got a lot of advice that quite frankly, didn't make sense. And I ended up needing to make a lot of changes and I did make a change on the financial advisor front to a practice that had more experience. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. It's you're right for most of middle income, you know, even upper income Americans, when things like this happen, they're, they are in that sort of uh, neutral zone, twilight zone where they don't qualify for government aid. 
and yet they don't have the financial capital to pay it on their own, but they're forced with, you know, perhaps that decision. It can be very traumatic, I'm sure, for those folks. Yeah. Meanwhile, on the medical front, I also switched providers. I ended up having a friend who connected us with a very leading edge neurologist who really helped Ken. He, number one, suggested a somewhat controversial cocktail medication, but then also suggested some holistic measures. And he had actually been a caregiver for his own father who suffered Mm. from Alzheimer's. And this particular doctor was the consulting physician on the movie Still Alice. And he's really sort of at the forefront of the, of the Alzheimer's uh, research. And what I learned there is you really need to advocate for yourself and your loved ones on all fronts. Right. Yep. What other types of advice were you looking for at the time? Oh, I needed advice on all fronts. (laughs) Yeah. First and foremost, on the caregiver front, I had never been a caregiver. I didn't know anything about Alzheimer's disease. So I really needed to learn how to deal with his progression and find creative solutions that would help our family. You know, there's no welcome brochure when you get a diagnosis like this. And the fact that he was young, strong, and otherwise healthy really posed additional challenges for us. Mm. I sought out support groups, tried to build a network of people who had been through this. We went, we took every holistic measure available through special holistic chiropractors, nutritionists, specialized therapists, occupational and speech therapy. We purchased probably every digital cognitive game that was available. We bought all kinds of contraptions for the house for safety activities to keep them engaged, hired private trainers and more. And these are things that were not covered by insurance. And meanwhile, I assume you're still working a job, a full-time job, right? Exactly. Be a challenge as well. It definitely was. And then, you know, other types of advice I needed, you know, include legal front. I didn't even realize I needed to ensure, you know, that the estate plan really had to be completely redone. Most people, when they get married, will have an estate plan done, but that completely had to be revised and think, in fact, I think I needed to revise it twice to accommodate the new situation. So all the documents, all the beneficiaries had to be thought through. All of that needed to change. We needed to set up trusts to protect some of the assets that we had from a tax perspective. On the insurance side, I didn't even know, but I needed to get an umbrella policy. I also wanted to get a long-term care policy for myself. This was something that Ken and I had brought up with our financial advisor before he had been diagnosed. And our advisor at the time, and I quote, said, that's not necessary because we should be just focused on asset accumulation at this point for our retirement. And that was two years before his diagnosis. And this is something, long-term care insurance is definitely something I urge people to look into if you don't have it. And it definitely, it it is costly. It gets more costly the older you are, but otherwise you end up paying out of pocket. And then finally on the the financial planning and guidance, you know, we had always worked with advisors, but, you know, now I was fraught with, you know, over probably 150,000 in expenses, just dealing out of pocket expenses, dealing with Ken's disease. And I needed to make sure I had a plan that considered those expenses, but also had some sort of consideration for some sort of retirement for myself. You know, we ended up having to get a caregiver for the first year when he couldn't drive. And then I needed to, it became clear it wasn't safe for him to stay in the home. So I needed to move him into a memory care assisted living facility. 
And, you know, that those costs really rack up. So I needed a lot of help on the financial planning side, as well as on the tax planning side. And at the time, my the acquisition of my company was going through, which was creating a tax event, which just added to the sort of the complexity on the financial front. You know, you have almost, I would say, uh, well, an extraordinary ability to manage things. And I, I know that skill set has helped you professionally, but it's obviously clear that it came to bear, you know, helping with Ken's situation and just keeping things going. And not to mention the fact your two daughters at the time were young and looking for help from mom. Uh, so again, just terribly impressed with what you have gone through and, and how you were able to handle that, Michelle. It's a lesson for all of us. You know, you and I talked <clears throat> oh several weeks ago about this podcast and putting it together around the story around the Ken and the Alzheimer's and, you know, your career. And just, I don't know, coincidence, a couple of days ago, I read in the news in the Wall Street Journal that the FDA has just approved a drug that's going to be sold as uh, Aduhelm. And it's the first new Alzheimer's drug in nearly two decades and the first treatment for Alzheimer's that is shown to slow cognitive decline. So the drug sale will certainly offer hope to millions of people dealing with Alzheimer's. Can you tell me a little bit about what you've learned by dealing directly and personally with this disease in terms of, you know, pharmaceutical development? Sure. I'm very excited about the FDA approval of the Biogen drug. Ken had become very involved in the drug trials when he first got diagnosed. In fact, I had to fight even to get him involved because at that time they didn't want anyone under 65, under the age of 65 in the drug trials. And you had to get a special exception. He participated in the Diane trial, which many people know about. It had two legs, a drug from Lilly and a drug from Roach, both of which were targeting what's called beta amyloid. Unfortunately, those were deemed a failure. But what I can tell you is this, there's a belief that the solution and the cure may end up needing to consist of a combination therapy, much like the HIV cure. In Alzheimer's, they believe there are two primary factors, tangles and plaques. In layman's terms, tangles mess with the brain synapses or communication, and plaques are basically an accumulation of bad stuff. Currently, there's some immunotherapy drugs and trials that target the root cause of the tangles and the tau buildup. Plaques are called by a buildup of the beta amyloid, and Biogen's aducanumab is a new approach for directing that cleanup of the beta amyloid or the bad stuff. And I'm very bullish on this drug. I know it isn't fully approved yet, but from the get-go, all of the Alzheimer's scientists I know have been very positive on it. And James, if this drug had been available when Ken was alive, I would have done anything to get him access to it. In fact, we asked for even open label access to the drugs he was being tested, you know, he had access to in, in the trial he was part of. This disease is so devastating and our family was so young, you know, we didn't want him to miss anything. He missed graduations and birthdays and, you know, seeing the girls grow up and a lot of firsts. And because this disease progresses, there's, you know, I think there's likely going to be a need for a spectrum of treatments, depending on the stage, the biogen Drug is really targeting more the early and mild stage of cognitive impairment. But regardless of side effects, I know there's been some report of side effects. We would have done anything to get Ken 
access to the drug and gain more clarity and be able to interact with us for longer to have more time with him. Well, this development sure is, it's fantastic news. And, and, and you know, you, you get to our age, either you know someone in your family that's been impacted by Alzheimer's or some form of, of dementia, or you know of someone that has, you know, if not in your family elsewhere. And so it's very exciting news to, to hear these developments. So we'll keep, we'll keep hoping and praying that it continues to progress. So I want to switch gears, if I could, with all this. How did you manage such a successful career in the fintech industry? It was definitely not easy. You know, I did find that, uh, you know, you need to make sure you get help. And initially, I always had sitters help us with the girls because I've always worked full time since they were born. So I had sitters when he was diagnosed and, you know, I started asking them to sort of help and stay and cook for us and keep an eye on Ken after the point at which he had lost his job and he was home. After a year when it became clear he needed more help, I found a private caregiver, as I mentioned, you know, and that really allowed me to continue to work, you know, although I was still taking care of him from seven to seven. So it was really tricky to juggle. And, you know, he was still somewhat aware. So I had to pretend she was actually hired to be a babysitter and cook Mm. and not just a caregiver. So that was, that was tricky. Interesting. Yeah. But luckily they formed a bond, which made things easier. You know, and a year later, when it wasn't safe for him to be at home, we had to make the heartbreaking decision to move him into a facility. But it was definitely the right call. And, you know, having the right support enabled me to take care of the girls, to continue working. And if I didn't have that support, I would have left my job, which is what a lot of people do in this situation. And I really think my career served as, as an escape for me during this whole journey and it was actually therapeutic. I think it actually saved me, you know, emotionally and mentally. I had always built my career on building relationships, staying on top of the latest trends and, you know, focusing on delivering world-class solutions to my clients. And I just, I love doing that. And I, it was really important that I continue doing that. Plus we needed the income, you know, cause we hadn't had an income from Ken and given the gap we talked about before with, you know, not getting any aid, you know, I needed to continue to work. And I think it, during that time, it was really critical to be able to prioritize to delegate and really trust and rely on my team and colleagues. And that was critical during that period. So I really think that was, you know, enabled me to, to build that successful career during that time. And you were very successful in that career. And I'm sure, you know, had an impact on, on many individuals that worked for you over time. But can you tell us a little bit about challenges that women face in executive or senior management roles from your perspective, Michelle? Sure. And, you know, things have definitely changed over the last 30 years. I started my career and have worked on Wall Street and sort of saw the other extreme. And there's a lot of focus on diversity, inclusion and equality in the workplace, which I think is definitely moving the needle. But on that question, two things come to mind for me. I'd say the first one is the most successful female leaders I've worked with or have observed, you know, clients of mine, et cetera, have always had very strong mentors and sponsorship. And those mentors and sponsors often were men, not just women, but it's really critical that women leaders are given the license and the necessary political support to kind of drive their vision and any change required. The more senior you become, 
you know, it tends that the political circles sort of become smaller. So if you don't have the right backing, and especially if you happen to be in a more male dominated company or industry or group, it may be harder to form those bonds. So I'd say that's the first thing. And the second thing I think balance people talk about balance. I think that will continue to be a challenge, but I think women actually often work longer hours to mitigate any perceptions they think others have of them having issues juggling home responsibilities with work. So I think it's somewhat self-inflicted in terms of the balance question. And in reality, I think women are excellent multitaskers and hyper-prioritizers. So I think they need to give themselves a break, but I think balance and the perception of balance just poses a challenge for female leaders. Yeah. I would probably even change that last statement to say women are better multitaskers. My wife reminds me all the time that she is handling a plethora of things when I seem to be singly focused on one issue. And she's right. But yeah, it's fascinating. The comment you made about women working longer hours to, to you know, allay perceptions of, you know, trying to uh, juggle work and home. And, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but it does seem to make sense that that's probably happening. It's the case. But I heard you say that as you work, as you move higher and higher up into an organization, the, I guess, the progress we've made in society is to equality and inclusion. That starts to dissipate a little bit as you go higher up the organization, you may have more political type circles that you've got to deal with. Yeah, I think it depends on the organization. I grew up in, you know, historically they were male dominated industries and now that's really changed, which is good. But I think it it's sort of situational on the company you're in. You know, you may be in a more female dominated where the political circle is easier for you to form bonds. And I just I've found that that is right. I it's something I've noticed in my personal experience. Well, so now you're retiring and beginning a new phase of life. And uh, you told me you may plan to start a new venture and that's being an entrepreneur. So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Well, you know, as we've talked about the last five years, five plus years have been pretty tiring, as you can imagine, between everything I went through with my husband, raising my daughters and, you know, growing a firm, selling it and integrating it into a larger global firm. You know, luckily I've continued to work with a financial advisor team who's helped me model various scenarios over time from, continuing to work full-time to retiring early. And luckily we have a plan that gave me some manageable options. That being said, I can't help myself. I'm not exactly the type of person to sit still for long. And I have a lot of ideas and lots of things I'd like to do. And I do enjoy growing businesses. Recently, I met with a lot of different people, private equity firms, venture capital firms, a few fintech startups, and some other consulting shops for a variety of advisory board consulting roles. I do have a concept for a new business that I'd like to create that leverages my strengths and serves a unique need in the market. I can't exactly share details with you, James, yet, but please stay tuned. (laughs) Well, I have every expectation that you will be phenomenally successful, Michelle, based on your track record. And I just know who you are as a person and your strengths and skill sets. But now that you do have more direct control of your time as an entrepreneur, where do you want to direct some of those energies? Well, while the new venture concept is marinating, 
I'm going to be primarily focused on my daughters, getting my oldest off to art school at the end of the summer. She just graduated from high school. My youngest will be a junior next year. So we'll be starting the whole college search process for her. I do like to create experiences for them. So I'm planning a trip, kind of a fun trip right now, now that things have opened up more. I also want to focus more time on my long-term retirement plan. So while I have the financial plan in place, I haven't really decided exactly where do I physically want to be? You know, what does that look like? What does it feel like? And I do want to pursue some philanthropic objectives, such as getting more involved at the Alzheimer's Association and other organizations. Again, I used to spend a lot more time doing that in the last four years. I haven't had as much time. And I also plan to pick up golf again, something I did a long time ago. Well, you're no stranger to challenges. So that seems like a good fit. (laughs) <laughs> I, I can imagine, you know, winters in New England start to wear on someone after a while. So we'll see how it goes. You know, that will do it for this round. Michelle, I can't thank you enough for your time with us today for our first in a series called The Extraordinary Life. And certainly your life in this short amount of time has been nothing but extraordinary. And we have great hopes to see how your next uh, phase of life, this new venture, will turn out. To all of you out there listening, thank you. And you can reach out to anyone in the Palace team, as always, at palacecapitaladvisors.com. That's P-A-L-L-A-S, capitaladvisors.com. Michelle, thanks again. Thank you, James. We'll talk with you all next time. Take care, everyone. Palace Capital Advisors LLC, Triad Advisors LLC, and their representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances. These materials are provided for general information and educational purposes based upon publicly available information from sources believed to be reliable. We cannot assure the accuracy or completeness of these materials. The information in these materials may change at any time and without notice. The information contained herein is for informational purposes only it is not personalized investment advice and should not be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any particular security sector or strategy to any individual person or entity. Securities offered through Triad Advisors LLC, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Palace Capital Advisors LLC, a registered investment advisor. Palace Capital Advisors LLC is a separate entity from Triad Advisors LLC. 